0: Chapter 16 of The Two-Gun Man by Charles Alden Seltzer This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn Leviatt Takes a Step Miss Radford was sitting on the flat rock on the hill where she had written the first page of her novel. The afternoon sun was coming slantwise over the western mountains, sinking steadily toward the rift out of which came the rose veil that she had watched many times she had just completed a paragraph in which the villain appears when she became aware of someone standing near she turned swiftly with heightened color to see leviatt his sudden appearance gave her something of a shock for as he stood there smiling at her he answered perfectly the description she had just written he might have just stepped from one of her pages but the shock passed leaving her a little pale but quite composed and not a little annoyed she had found her work interesting she had become quite absorbed in it therefore she failed to appreciate leviatt's sudden appearance and with upturned chin turned from him and pretended an interest in the rim of hills that surrounded the flat for an instant leviatt stood a frown wrinkling his forehead Then, with a smile, he stepped forward and seated himself beside her on the rock. She immediately drew her skirts close to her and shot a displeased glance at him from the corners of her eyes. Then, seeing that he still sat there, she moved her belongings a few feet and followed them. He could not doubt the significance of the move, but had he been wise, he might have ignored it. A woman's impulses will move her to rebuke a man, but if he will accept without comment he may be reasonably sure of her pity and pity is a path of promise but the range boss neglected his opportunity he made the mistake of thinking that because he had seen her many times while visiting her brother he might now with propriety assume an air of intimacy toward her i reckon this rock is plenty big enough for both of us he said amiably She measured the distance between them with a calculating eye. It is, she returned quietly, if you remain exactly where you are. He forced a smile. And if I don't, he inquired. You may have the rock to yourself, she returned coldly. I did not ask you to come here. He chose to ignore this hint, telling her that he had been to the cabin to see Ben, and... "'Finding him absent, had ridden through the flat. "'I saw you when I was quite a piece away,' he concluded, "'and thought maybe you might be lonesome.' "'When I am lonesome, I choose my own company,' she returned coldly. "'Why, sure,' he said, his tone slightly sarcastic. "'You certainly ought to know who you want to talk to. "'But you ain't objecting to me sitting on this hill,' he inquired. "'The hill is not mine.' she observed quietly, examining one of the written pages of her novel. "'Sit here as long as you like.' "'Thanks,' he drawled the word. Leaning back on one elbow, he stretched out as though assured that she would make no further objections to his presence. She ignored him completely, and very deliberately arranged her papers and resumed writing. For a time he lay silent, watching the pencil travel the width of the page and then back. A mass of completed manuscript lay at her side, the pages covered with carefully written, legible words. She had always taken a pardonable pride in her penmanship. For a while he watched her, puzzled, furtively trying to decipher some of the words that appeared upon the pages. But the distance was too great for him, and he finally gave it up and fell to looking at her instead, though determined to solve the wordy mystery that was amassed near her. Finally, finding the silence irksome, he dropped an experimental word, speaking casually. You must have been to school a heap, writing like you do. She gave him no answer, being at that moment absorbed in a thought which she was trying to transcribe before it should take wings and be gone forever. Writing comes easy to some people, he persisted. The thought had been set down. She turned very slightly. Yes? she said, looking steadily at him. "'It does. So does impertinence.' He smiled easily. "'I ain't aimin' to be impertinent,' he returned. "'I wouldn't reckon in asking you what you're writing would be impertinent. It's too long for a letter.' "'It is a novel,' she returned shortly. He smiled, exulting over the partial concession. "'I reckon to write a book you must be some special kind of woman.' he observed admiringly. She was silent. He sat up and leaned toward her, his eyes flashing with a sudden passion. If that's it, he said with unmistakable significance, I don't mind telling you that I'm some partial to them special kind. Her chin rose a little. I'm not concerned over your feelings, she returned without looking at him. That kind of woman would naturally know a heap, he went on, apparently unmindful of the rebuke. I'd certainly know enough to be able to see when a man likes em. She evidently understood the drift, for her eyes glowed subtly. It is too bad that you are not a special kind of man, then, she replied. Meaning? he questioned, his eyes glinting with eagerness. Meaning that if you were a special kind of man, you would be able to tell when a woman doesn't like you she said coldly. "'I reckon I ain't a special kind, then,' he declared, his face reddening slightly. "'Of course i seen that you ain't appeared to take much of a shine to me. But I heard that there's women that can be won if a man keeps at it long enough.' "'Some men like to waste their time,' she returned quietly. "'I don't call it wasting time to be talking to you,' he declared rapidly. "'Our opinions differ.' she observed shortly, resting the pencil point on the page that she had been writing. Her profile was toward him. Her cheeks were tinged with color. Some stray wisps of hair hung, breeze-blown, over her forehead and temples. She made an attractive picture, sitting there with the soft sunlight about her, a picture whose beauty smoked Leviatt's heart with a pang of sudden regret and disappointment, She might have been his, but for the coming of Ferguson. And now, because of the stray man's wiles, he was losing her. A sudden rage seized upon him. He leaned forward, his face bloating poisonously. Maybe I could name a man who ain't wasting his time, he sneered. She turned suddenly and looked at him, dropping pencil and paper, her eyes flashing with a bitter scorn you are one of those sulking cowards who fawn over men and insult defenseless women she declared the words coming slowly and distinctly he had realized before she had answered that he had erred and he smiled deprecatingly the effort contorting his face i wouldn't meanin just that he said weakly i reckon it's a clear field and no favors he took a step toward her, his voice growing tense. "'I've been comin' down to your cabin a lot, sayin' I was comin' to see Ben. Well, I didn't come to see Ben. I wanted to look at you. I reckon you'd know that. A woman can't help but see when a man's in love with her. Well, you never give me a chance to tell you. I'm tellin' you now. I want you to marry me. I'm range boss for the two-diamond.' "'And I got some stock of own, and money in the bank over in Cimarron. "'I'll put up a shack a few miles down the river, and—' "'Stop,' commanded Miss Radford, imperiously. "'Leviatt had been speaking rapidly, absorbed in his subject, "'assurance shining in his face. "'But, at Miss Radford's command, he broke off suddenly and stiffened, "'surprise widening his eyes.' "'You have said enough,' she continued. "'Quite enough. "'I have never thought of you as a possible admirer. "'I certainly have done nothing that might lead you to believe I would marry you. "'I do not even like you, not even respect you. "'I'm not certain that I shall ever marry, "'but if I do, I certainly shall not marry a man whose every look is an insult.' She turned haughtily and began to gather up her papers. There had been no excitement in her manner. Her voice had been steady, even, and tempered with a slight scorn. For a brief space Leviatt stood, while the full significance of her refusal ate slowly into his consciousness. Whatever hopes he might have had had been swept away in those few short, pithy sentences. His passion checked the structure erected by his imagination toppled to ruin, his vanity hurt. He stood before her, stripped of the veneer that had made him seem, heretofore, nearly the man he professed to be. In her notebook she had written, Dave Leviatt. One rather gets the impression that the stoop is a reflection of the man's nature, which seems vindictive and suggests a low cunning, his eyes are small, deep-set, and glitter when he talks. But they are steady and cold, almost merciless. One's thoughts go instantly to the tiger. I shall try to create that impression in the reader's mind. And now, as she looked at him, she was sure that task would not be difficult. She had now an impression of him that seemed as though it had been seared into her mind. The eyes that she had thought merciless were now glittering malevolently and she shuddered at the satiric upward curve of his lips as he stepped close to the rock and placed a hand upon the massive manuscript lying there that she had previously dropped to prevent her leaving so you don't love me he sneered you don't even respect me why cause you're taking a shine to that damn maverick that comes here from dry bottom stafford's new stray man that is my business she returned icily it sure is he said the words writhing venomously through his lips and it's my business too there ain't any damned he had glanced suddenly downward while he had been talking and his gaze rested upon an upturned page of the manuscript that lay beside him on the rock he broke off speaking and Reaching down, took up the page, his eyes narrowing with interest. The page he had taken up was one from the first chapter and described in detail the shooting match in Dry Bottom. It was a truthful picture of what had actually happened. She had even used the real names of the characters. Leviatt saw a reference to the Silver Dollar Saloon, to the loungers, to the stranger who had ridden up and who sat on his pony near the hitching rail and who was called Ferguson. He saw his own name, read the story of how the stranger had eclipsed his feet by putting six bullets into the can. He dropped the page to the rock and looked up at Miss Radford with a short laugh. "'So that's what you're writing,' he sneered. "'You're writing something that really happened. "'You're even writing the real names "'and tellin' how Stafford's stray man butted in.' "'And beat me shooting. "'You knowin' this shows that you and him "'has been traveling pretty close together.' "'For an instant, Miss Radford forgot her anger. "'Her eyes snapped with a sudden interest. "'Were you the man who hit the can five times?' "'She questioned, unable to conceal her eagerness. "'She saw a flush slowly mount to his face. "'Evidently, he had said more than he had intended. "'Well, if I am he returned, his lips writhing in a sneer. "'I'm beating me shooting that way. Don't prove nothing.' She was now becoming convinced of her cleverness. From Ben's description of the man who had won the shooting match, she had been able to lead Ferguson to the admission that he had been the central character in that incident. And now it had transpired that Leviatt was the man he had beaten. This had been the way she had written it in the story so far the plot that had been born of her imagination had proved to be the story of a real occurrence. She had counted upon none but imaginary characters, though she had determined to clothe these with reality through study. But now, she had discovered, she had been the chronicler of a real incident." and two of her characters had been pitted against each other in a contest in which there had been enough bitterness to provide the animus necessary to carry them through succeeding pages, ready and willing to fly at each other's throats. She was not able to conceal her satisfaction over the discovery, and when she looked at Leviatt again, she smiled broadly. "'That confession explains a great many things,' she said, stooping to recover the page that he had dropped beside her upon the rock. Meaning what? he questioned, his eyes glittering evilly. Meaning that I now know why you are not friendly toward Mr. Ferguson, she returned. I heard that he beat you in the shooting match, she went on tauntingly, and then when you insulted him afterwards, he talked very plainly to you. The moment she had spoken, she realized that her words had hurt him, for he paled and his eyes narrowed venomously, but his voice was cold and steady. "'Was Mr. Ferguson telling you that?' he inquired, succeeding in placing ironic emphasis upon the prefix. She was arranging the contents of her handbag, and she did not look up as she answered him. "'That is my business,' she returned quietly." but I don't mind telling you that the man who told me about the occurrence would not lie about it. It's nice that you got such a heap of faith in him, he sneered. It was plain to her that he thought Ferguson had told her about the shooting match, and it was equally plain that he still harbored evil thoughts against the stray man. And also, he suspected that something more than mere friendship existed between her and Ferguson. She had long hoped that one day she might be given that opportunity of meeting in person a man whose soul was consumed with jealousy, in order that she might be able to gain some impressions of the intensity of his passion. This seemed to be her opportunity. Therefore, she raised her chin a little and looked at him with a tantalizing smile. "'Of course I have faith in him,' she declared with a slight biting emphasis." "'I believe in him, absolutely.' "'She saw his lips twitch. "'Sure,' he sneered. "'You was just beginning to believe in him that day "'when you was holding hands with him. "'Just about here. "'I reckon he was enjoying himself.' "'She started, but smiled immediately. "'So you saw that?' she inquired, "'knowing that he had, but taking a keen delight "'in seeing that he still remembered.' But this conversation was becoming too personal. She had no desire to argue this point with him, even to get an impression of the depth of his passion. So she gathered up her belongings and prepared to depart. But he stepped deliberately in front of her, barring the way of escape. His face was aflame with passion. I seen him holdin' your hand, he said, his voice trembling. I seen that he was holding it longer than he had any right and i seen you pull your hand away when you thought i was looking at you i reckon you've taken a shine to him he's a kind that the women like with his slick ways and smooth palaver and his love-making he laughed with his lips only his eyes narrowed to glittering pinpoints. she had not thought that jealousy could make a person half so repulsive if you're loving him he continued, leaning toward her, his muscles tense, his lips quivering with a passion that he was no longer able to repress. "'I'm telling you that you're wasting your time. You wouldn't think so much of him if you knowed know that he'd come here.' Leviatt had become aware that Miss Radford was not listening, that she was no longer looking at him, but at something behind him. At the instant he became aware of this, he turned sharply in his tracks his right hand falling swiftly to his holster. Not over a half-dozen paces distant stood Ben Radford, gravely watching. "'Maybe you folks was rehearsing a scene from that story,' he observed quietly. "'I wasn't intending to interrupt, but I heard loud talking and I thought maybe it wasn't anything private. So I just climbed off my horse and climbed up here to satisfy my curiosity.' Leviatt's hand fell away from the holster, a guilty grin overspreading his face. "'I reckon we wasn't rehearsing any scene,' he said, trying to make the words come easily. "'I was just telling your sister that—' Miss Radford laughed banteringly. "'You have spoiled a chapter in my book, Ben,' she declared with pretended annoyance. "'Mr. Leviatt had just finished proposing to me—' and was at the point where he was supposed to speak bitter words about his rival. She laughed again, gazing at Leviatt with mocking eyes. "'Of course, I shall never be able to tell my readers what he might have said, for you appeared at a most inopportune time. But he has taught me a great deal. Much more, in fact, than I ever expected from him.' She bowed mockingly. "'I am very, very much obliged to you, Mr. Leviatt.' she said, placing broad emphasis upon her words. I promised to try and make a very interesting character of you. There were times when you were most dramatic. She bowed to Leviatt and flashed a dazzling smile at her brother. Then she walked past Leviatt, picked her way daintily over the loose stones on the hillside, and descended to the level where she had tethered her pony. Ben stood grinning admiringly after her as she mounted and rode out into the flat. Then he turned to Leviatt, soberly contemplating him. "'I don't think you were rehearsing for the book,' he said quietly, an undercurrent of humor in his voice. "'She was fun in me,' returned Leviatt, his face reddening. "'I reckon she was,' returned Ben dryly. "'She's certainly some clever at handin' it to a man.' He smiled down into the flat where Miss Radford could still be seen, riding toward the cabin. "'Looks as though she wasn't quite ready to change her name to Leviatt,' he grinned. But there was no humor in Leviatt's reflections. He stood for a moment, looking down into the flat, the expression of his face morose and sullen. Ben's bantering words only added fuel to the flame of rage and disappointment that was burning fiercely in his heart. Presently... The hard lines of his lips disappeared, and he smiled craftily. "'She's about ready to change her name,' he said. "'Only she ain't figuring that it's going to be Leviatt.' "'You're guessin' now,' returned Ben sharply. Leviatt laughed oddly. "'I reckon I ain't doing any guessin', he returned. "'You've been around her a heap and been seein' her considerable. "'But you ain't been using your eyes.' Meanin what demanded Ben, an acid-like coldness in his voice? Meanin that if you'd been using your eyes, you'd a seen she's some took up with Stafford's new stray man. Well, returned Ben, she's her own boss. If she's made friends with Ferguson, that's her business. He laughed. She's certainly clever, he added. "'and maybe she's got her own notion as to why she's made friends with him. "'She's told me that she's going to make him a character in the book she's writing. "'Likely she's stringing him.' "'I reckon she ain't stringing him,' declared Leviatt. "'A girl ain't doing much stringing when she's holding a man's hand "'and blushing when somebody catches her at it.' "'There was a slight sneer in Leviatt's voice, "'which drew a sharp glance from Radford.' For an instant, his face clouded, and he was about to make a sharp reply. But his face cleared immediately, and he smiled. "'I'm banking on her being able to take care of herself,' he returned. "'Her holding Ferguson's hand proves nothing. Likely she was trying to get an impression. She's always telling me that. But she's running her own game, and if she's stringing Ferguson, that's her business.' and if she thinks a good bit of him that's her business too if a man ain't jealous he might be able to see that ferguson ain't a half-bad sort of man an evil light leaped into leviatt's eyes he turned and faced radford words coming from his lips coldly and incisively when you interrupted me he said i was going to tell your sister about ferguson maybe if i tell you what i was going to tell her It'll make you see things some different. A while ago, Stafford was wanting to hire a gunfighter. He shot a significant glance at Radford, who returned it steadily. I reckon you know what he wanted a gunfighter for. He got one. His name's Ferguson. He's getting $100 a month for the season to put Ben Radford out of business. The smile had gone from Radford's face, his lips were tightly closed, his eyes cold and alert. You lying about Ferguson because you think he's friendly with Mary? he questioned quietly. Leviatt's right hand dropped swiftly to his holster, but Radford laughed harshly. Quit it, he said sharply. I ain't saying you're a liar, but what you've said makes you liable to be called that until you prove he ain't. How do you know Ferguson's been hired to put me out of business? Leviatt laughed. Stafford and me went to Dry Bottom to get a gunfighter. I shot a can in the street in front of the silver dollar so Stafford would be able to get a line on anybody trying to beat my game. Ferguson done it, and Stafford hired him. Radford's gaze was level and steady. Then you have knowed right along, and he was looking for me, he said coldly. "'Why didn't you say something about it before? "'You've been claiming to be my friend.' Leviatt flushed, shifting uneasily from one foot to the other, but watching Radford with alert and suspicious glances. "'Why,' he returned shortly, "'I'm range boss for the two-diamond, "'and I ain't hired to tell what I know. "'I reckon you'd think I was a hell of a man "'to be telling things that I ain't got no right to tell.' But you're telling it now, returned Radford, his eyes narrowing a little. Yes, returned Leviatt quietly. I am. And you're calling me a liar for it. But I'm telling you to wait. Maybe you'll tumble. I reckon you ain't heard how Ferguson's been telling the boys that he went down to your cabin one night, claiming to have been bit by a rattler, cause he wanted to get acquainted with you and pot you some day when you wasn't expecting it and then after he stayed all night in your cabin he was bragging to the boys that he reckoned on making a fool of your sister oh he's some slick he concluded a note of triumph in his voice radford started his face paling a little he thought it strange that an experienced plainsman as ferguson appeared to be should have been bitten by a rattler in the manner he had described and then he had been hanging around the. Maybe you might think it's unusual for Stafford to hire a two-gun man to look after strays, broke in Levitt at this point. Two-gun men ain't takin' such jobs, regular, he insinuated. Stray men as usual low-down, mean, ornery cusses which ain't much good for anything else. And so they spend their time moping round doing work that ain't fit for any puncher to do. Radford had snapped himself erect, his lips straightening. He suddenly held out a hand to Leviatt. "'I'm thanking you,' he said steadily. "'It's rather late for you to be telling me, but I think it's come in time anyway. "'I'm watching for a little while, and if things are as you say—' He broke off, his voice filled with a significant grimness. "'So long,' he added. He turned and descended the slope of the hill. An instant later— leviatt saw him loping his pony toward the cabin for a few minutes leviatt gazed after him his eyes alight with satisfaction then he too descended the slope of the hill and mounted his pony chapter sixteen